Well, good morning again. Uh, if you're going to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be at the end of John chapter 4, so you can have a chance to find that. John chapter 4 is, uh, of course, the, the fourth book of the New Testament, so that'll help you track it down. And we, we began this series, uh, the, the Gospel According to John as a church, uh, at the beginning of the year. And if you were here at that first Sunday of the new year, we kind of made this announcement, like, what is our goal for the year? What are we going to focus on? And we had this one big hairy goal that we wanted to do. And, you know, some churches, uh, and, and rightfully so, I think the Lord kind of leads different churches in different directions. Some churches are, hey, here's our big hairy goal. We're going to build a new campus. Here's our, here's our big hairy goal. We're going we're gonna to have, you know, 500 baptisms. Here's our big hairy goal. And it's just, you know, it's, it's these goals that are out there. But what was our goal? And you may remember that our goal was a little bit slower, a little bit simpler. It has less, less sparkle to it. It is this. It is, we want to be the place that helps people get closer to God. Whatever that means, the idea that, that we kind of promoted and we began this year with is wherever you claim to be in your relationship with God, we want to be the place that could help you get closer if you so chose to. So if you know nothing about God, we want to be the place that can help you explain the things of God, the goodness of God in really basic ways so you can take that next step. If you have been hurt by the church and it's just like you had a passionate faith in the church, whatever has happened and, and you've taken a step away, but you're, you're kind of coming back to it and you're like, I just want to get closer to God, but I'm so hurt. We wanted to be the church that could help hurt people get back to God. We, if, if you are someone who's been following the Lord for 15, 20 years, and you, you had to be honest, the last five years have been the most boring parts of your faith. We said, we want to help you, if you want to, get off of that plateau and take the next step of obedience and get closer to God. We wanted to be the place that could help you do that. And the number one way we started doing that, which we announced all these different studies and things, we can go back and look at that. But the number one way is if we want to get close to God, we have to get a really good look at who Jesus is. There is no way to have a good understanding of who God is without having a good understanding of who Jesus is. And the best way to do that is not to go to TikTok and YouTube or ask, you know, aunt so-and-so what Jesus is like, because the opinions of Jesus are all over the place. What we wanted to do and what we chose to do is we began looking at one of the four eyewitnesses, one of the four biographies, if you will, of Jesus, these gospels in the New Testament. And we chose John because John is, you know, the beloved disciple. He was a best friend of Jesus. And he writes his book to give us an eyewitness account of what Jesus is like. And so as a church, we began walking through the gospel of John because we wanted to get a good look at Jesus because Jesus is the fastest, clearest way to get closer to God. And so I I've, I've loved where we've been so far, just, you know, just kind of recapping some of the main points is that John believes that Jesus is the main source of life. He's actually, he actually believes that Jesus is the creator of life, and to get that right would be life for us. And those in the Gospel of John so far that we've met, that they've come to the same conclusion about Jesus, they make statements like John the Baptist made of, I must decrease so that he can increase. It's this idea that it's not about me. If you find the source of life, if the source of life is your Buick parked in your driveway, then you need to protect that Buick with everything you've got. And some of us are like, yeah, I really do protect my cars, but it's going to fail you eventually. And so will the house, and so will the job, so will your ability to, to provide for your family. Every source of life we promote as a culture will eventually let us down except one 
Uh, the claim is, is that Jesus won't, that Jesus is the real source of life. And to figure that out reprioritizes our lives. And then, then we start meeting through the Gospel of John all these different people who talk to Jesus. And it's interesting. Many, many people, that when they hear about Jesus, they come to conclusions that are kind of, ah, maybe he's the Christ, maybe he's not, I don't know. But then when they go and talk to Jesus face to face, and just have an honest conversation with him, they walk away compelled like, I think, I think this guy really is the promised one sent from God. I really think that he might be the son of God. And they start to put their hope in him. Those, those who had honest dialogue with Jesus all through the gospel of John so far, those who, who didn't go into it with an agenda, who went to it with more questions than answers and were, were really curious, Jesus had all the time in the world for he stays up to the wee hours of the night with Nicodemus. He spends an extra two days in Samaria. He has all the time in the world for people who come to him honestly. But then we read times where people just like rush to him and demand that he do things, want to make him king. And Jesus is kind of impatient with those people. And he, 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 he doesn't have a lot of time. If, if you remember the, the people in Jerusalem, they wanted to make him king. They're like, oh man, he can turn water into wine. He's flipping tables. Let's make him king. And it's just like, that's not what I'm here for. And Jesus didn't have time for them and then leaves. The Samaritans, they wanted to ask him more questions like, tell me more about this Christ. He stays an extra two days. He has time for people who deal honestly with him. And all through the gospel of John so far, the people who have come to the conclusion that Jesus is who we say that he is, they, they talk about their life. Like they have, they have passion again. They wake back up. And so our hope is that as we continue through the gospel of John, we get that glimpse of Jesus and we can draw our own conclusions. Either he is the source of life or he is just a historical figure. And we have to make that choice as to how we follow him. And so we're going to be in John chapter four and we're starting in verse 46. And I just want to ask a question. Have you ever had a moment in life where you had whatever your to-do list was, you had your agenda, everything was, you know, all your important things were there. And then this thing happened and nothing else mattered all of a sudden. All your plans, like you, 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 either you forgot them or you ignored them because this moment demands your attention. I think, I think many of us have had moments like that. I think, I think any time, uh, you've ever had a car wreck, it's kind of that way, whether it was serious or just a fender bender, it's just sort of like wherever you were going doesn't matter so much. The fact that you relate to the meeting isn't as important. It just, it changes everything. These moments where nothing else matters. If, if you can rewind married people back to when you first fell in love, right? Like, like you had your, your career path, you had, you had all of your college plans, but now you're in love and you can't sleep. You haven't eaten in two days. You have butterflies in your stomach and like your palms get sweaty every time you look at her or him or, or whatever. And you're just like, ah, and you just, you, you can't, you can't think about anything else because this moment, this space is capturing all of your attention. Uh, I've, I've traveled to a few places. I've had a few moments where like on the travel, there's this breathtaking sight and it just, it captures my attention. I, I remember one, uh, some of you were there in Canada. We, we, we took a mission trip to Canada and we climbed this, we go by Lake Louise and we climb this mountain. There's this moment where you round a corner and there's this waterfall. And it's just beautiful, beautiful waterfalls. You just, you just stare at it. You're, you're captivated by it. You, you can't think about anything else. We, we started posing for pictures. Somebody in our group slipped on a rock and now they're down in the water. It was, a, it was a whole thing. Freezing cold water. It was just melting snow coming off of the waterfall, but it was, it was great. Um, 
One time my family, we were in Jamaica. There's this Duns River Falls. You can climb this, this waterfall and you, you just kind of take this path along the side of the waterfall. And I could see off to the side, there were, there were these, these kids. Yeah, I say kids, they're like in their 20s. And they're climbing like the extreme version of the, you have this side, it's like a path that you can walk and kids are walking it. And then you have the extreme side. You can climb up the waterfall while it's hitting you in the face. And I, I tap my guy and I say, hey, hey, can, can I go do that one? And he looks at my kids. He's like, what about them? I was like, oh, they'll be fine. You know, and he says, he says, well, well, you can go, but they can't. And I, I, it probably lasted 15 seconds, the climb. It felt like years of just the water hitting me in the face. I, I, would, I would wake up in the middle of the night for weeks. I'm just like, I'm hearing the water hit my face and then the exhilaration of reaching it. In those moments, nothing else matters at all. I even, in fact, I had a moment like that last week where I began the sermon. You may remember, I began the sermon saying, I've bit off more than we can chew. We're not going to finish it. Well, it turns out that as I was preparing for today, I went back and looked at my notes and not only did I already know that that was true, I had already written it as two sermons and had like notes that I was going to teach it. And then somehow in the excitement of getting to the woman at the well, I forgot about those notes. I went ahead and like sprinted through last week. And now we're a week ahead. I have no idea why these things happen. I'm going to blame like combination of like high hyper-focus and ADHD and just excitement. It, it is what it is. But you get these moments in life where nothing else matters. We're going to read a story today uh, about a man that is nameless, and his son is about to die, and nothing else matters all of a sudden. All of the agenda, all of the, is Jesus this or is he that, it doesn't matter anymore because because. I need Jesus, and I need him right now. We're going to read this story. And the question that I kind of want to ask is like, is, is Jesus worth following in these moments where you're in the unknown? Like, is, is he good enough to follow whether he answers the prayer or not? Is he really that good? Uh, I want to I try to answer that today as we look at this man. Uh, we're going to be in John 4, verse 46, if you'd like to follow along. <coughs> Excuse me. So here, here's where we're at. We're setting it up. We just finished the woman at the well. We just finished Samaria. And it, Jesus finishes his trip. He goes into the north, into Galilee. Verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So if you've been with us for the series so far, you may remember that Cana is a place where, as John just reminded us, that Jesus turned water into wine. It was the place that he was at recently. So if you kind of rewind maybe the last month of Jesus' travels, he travels into Cana. He uh, turns water into wine. You remember Mary comes to him with all problem, no solution. Uh, hey, Jesus, we got a big problem. She doesn't offer him how to fix it. Uh, and she, he's, he's like, well, it's not my time. It's not time for me to do something. And so she just turns to the, the servants and she says, like, hey, listen, we've run out of wine. You guys, you do whatever he tells you. And she just walks away. She just trusts that Jesus can do whatever Jesus wants to do. And, and so he goes to Cana. After Cana, he goes to Jerusalem. He flips the tables. After Jerusalem, uh, he, he talks to uh, Nicodemus in Jerusalem, and then he leaves and he heads to Samaria, woman at the well, and now he's back in Cana. So he's made this big loop from Cana down into Jerusalem, back up into Cana. And, and then we have this other city mentioned, Capernaum. There's this official whose son was ill. Capernaum is about 20 miles away from uh, Cana. Cana 
Smyrna is up into the hills, up into the mountains, kind of away from the coast. Capernaum is down on the coast. And so you're going to hear in a minute, go up and come down and all that's up the mountain, down the mountain. But they're 20 miles apart. And so I don't know how long it takes to travel 20 miles, but uh, I Googled it. Uh, it looks like it's going to take about 10 hours. And I assume that's like flat. So maybe they're better at it. I don't know. So we'll just say 10 hours away that this guy is. There's an official whose son is ill. I, I did a little bit of research, if you care, uh, for the Bible study nerds in here. Like, what kind of official is this? Is he Greek? Is he Jew? Like, what, what do we know about him? Uh, because Capernaum is kind of a Jewish uh, uh, ran city, the, the belief is that he's either a Pharisee, so he's an official, like a, one of the Pharisees who've been kind of rising up against Jesus at this point, or he works for Herod Antipas, which is the Jewish king over the area. And you may remember that John the Baptist is like, you know, saying, hey, you're sinning, uh, and John the Baptist ends up being executed for calling out uh, this, this guy for sinning. So whoever this guy is, he's probably a part of a group that's been rising up against Jesus, has an agenda against Jesus. Is he even the Christ? Can we trust him? Maybe, maybe he has problems, yet here's a problem that he's facing. His son is really, really ill. I just want to be honest with you. Um, there are moments in life where the, the axe to grind uh, no longer matters. When people are in crisis, they need hope. And whatever his agenda was against Jesus, it is irrelevant because he just heard the man who turned water into wine and the man who could do miracles is only 10 hours away. My son's about to die. What do I do? Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. He, he just goes to Jesus. He has no other agenda, no other question. He heard that he was in Cana. I'm going to get over there. I'm going to ask Jesus, come on down, come with me. Yeah, he's an official. You know, you know people who like, they, they're so used to barking orders, they forget who they're talking to. You, you know anybody like that? No, just me? Okay. All right. So, so I know people like that. Here's an official of whatever capacity. He goes to Jesus and he says, come with me. We're going to go heal my son. I need you. I need you to come with me down this thing. It's a 10 hours away. He, he, you know, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt. He, he still goes to Jesus, but he has, he just kind of gives him an order. And so Jesus in verse 46 responds, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The, the you in both of those is plural. So if I could translate this into Texan for us, I think it would help us a little bit. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe, Jesus says. Jesus, Jesus seems to be a little, uh, I don't want to say annoyed. Maybe it's a teaching point, but it's, it feels like frustration to me. When he was in Jerusalem, they were ready to make him king because of the signs and the wonders that he did. They were ready to, come on, let's get more signs and wonders. People will run to him. We'll see later in the Gospel of John, and we know people like this, that we go to Jesus just for the answered prayers. We go to church because our life is falling apart, and like we need God to do a thing. And then, and then like we just sort of wander off. And Jesus is kind of saying, you know what, I'm a little bit more than my miracles. I'm a little bit more than my answered prayers. Unless y'all have more signs and wonders, y'all just aren't going to continue to believe because John wants us to know that signs point to a thing. Signs point to that Jesus is more than his miracles. Signs point to that Jesus is worth worshiping. And so this, this dad, he's desperate. My son's about to die, Jesus. Come with me. And Jesus kind of announces, unless y'all have more signs and wonders, y'all won't believe. What does this dad do? He, he could engage in the argument. He could, he could 
you know, sharpen his ax that he has to grind here. He doesn't, though. Verse 49, the official said to him, sir, respectful tone, come down before my child dies. It's heartbreaking. It's terrifying. He has no other agenda. Have you ever been in a moment where it just doesn't matter anymore? I need Jesus to do something now or it's not going to get done. I'm, I'm terrified. I've, I, this, these, these are hard, hard moments. So he's a dad. If I can just talk to, to, about men, uh, ladies, this may be eye-opening or just a reminder if you already know this. Men, uh, when there's a problem, we've got to fix it. And when, when the problem is beyond our ability to fix it, we feel scared, we feel weak, we feel impotent. This dad left his family and his son who was dying and marched 10 hours away in hopes that Jesus would come with him back to heal his son. What was going through his head in that entire walk on the way? I've, it's the only thing I can do. I can't heal my son. I'm marching. I wonder if he had doubts along the way. I, I bet he did. In this moment, his son is sick and nothing else matters. Um, my, my oldest son is uh, 11 now, but when he was turning two on the night that he was going to turn two the next day, um, we, uh, as a family, we've gone to bed and we put our son to bed. Uh, as I recall, Ashley and I have fallen asleep. <clears throat> and then we hear these faint little pitter-patter feet walk into our room and a little cough has developed, a nasty, croupy cough. If you've ever had a kid with croup, it just sounds like little demons coming out of their throats. It's just, it's terrifying. You have no idea like how bad this is. And we look at my two-year-old, near a day away from being two-year-old son, and he's pale and he's turning blue and he's coughing and he can't breathe. And it's like 3 a.m. and we're terrified. I don't remember getting dressed. I may have still been in my boxers. I don't know. Ashley scoops up our two-year-old. We go to the truck. Like, we have to get to the ER right now because why nothing else matters. And we get him. We, uh, she holds him in the back seat of the truck. There is no car seat. I don't think we put on seat belts. I crank it, and I go. We're going to the ER. We drive. I'm gassing it. I'm blowing stop signs. I'm just like, full confession. This is being recorded. Come and arrest me if you have to. I, I blew through that entire city getting to that ER. I get on Highway 69. I'm trying to get to Medical Center, and then my truck starts sputtering because the day before, I pull into the driveway on E, and I think to myself, I will put gas back in it tomorrow, not knowing that today I'm going to the ER at 3 a.m. with my two-year-old, and I run out of gas on my way to the ER as mom is holding a bluish pale baby in the back seat, and our heart sinks. And it's 3 a.m., and it's not nice to wake people up at 3 a.m., but you know what? None of that matters. I called everybody I could think of. We got, we got father-in-law down there. We got gas in the truck. We got where we, I think if I remember right, he just takes Luke and the baby, we, we go. It turns out it was, it was fine. But in that moment, it was scary. And in fact, I'll just finish the story. He gets an epinephrine shot and he's just limp. Like he's like, we're really scared, you know, like he's, he's really faint. And the doctor says, listen, we need you to hold him back because when we inject him, he's not happy. I'm thinking he's not even awake right now. He's not, he's not going to care. And so they, they, they hold him. I said, okay. And I just kind of, I barely put my arms on him just to be nice to this nurse. And, uh, and she takes this needle, she jams it in his thigh and it looked like he was in fast and furious. He grabs that thing and starts shifting gears. He's in fifth gear before I can get his hand pulled off of the syringe. I, I don't know how he didn't tear his thigh off. I, it, was, it was terrible. He came awake and it opened up his airways and, and he was fine. And the doctor says, it's, it was not any of the life-threatening things. It was croup and he's fine. But still, in that moment, it didn't matter. And so I, I read this and 
this guy's son really is near death, but I kind of feel him. I feel that moment of I've got to do something, but what I can do, it doesn't necessarily feel like enough. Is it, let me ask you, church, is it enough when there's nothing else you can do? Is it enough to get to Jesus? Is it enough just to make it there if that's all you can do? So this guy, he says, listen, just come with me, sir. Please come with me before my son dies. And Jesus said to him, gives a little command back, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Hey, Jesus, please come with me. My, my son's about to die. I need you to heal him. You people, you need signs and wonders or you won't believe. And he stops. He says, sir, please, just, I'm begging you, please come with me. And Jesus' response was, go. Yeah, go ahead and go. I've taken care of that. Your son will live. What, what, what would you do in that moment? Would you go from there? Or would you beg Jesus some more? For whatever reason, this, I, I don't know that I would have been this dad right away, but this dad, he's like, great. And he turns and leaves. At no point has Jesus flexed to the point that he's doing long-distance miracles until this moment. This guy has no category for the fact that Jesus can heal somebody 20 miles away, and he begs Jesus to do this thing. And, and his only imagined solution is that, Jesus, you have to come with me because you got to touch him or like, la, 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 la. You like sprinkle your Jesus. Does. Like, I don't know what this guy thought Jesus could do, but it had no category for long-distance miracles. Um, I don't know, Christian, are you glad that Jesus isn't limited to your imagination on how to solve your problems? Come on now. Like, honestly, we go to Jesus with our problems, and then we sometimes have prefabricated solutions for how he can do it. And Jesus is facing this moment of how he can solve this. This guy's already come with the solution. Jesus says, I've got something different. Go, your son will live. And this dad just, just walked away. 20 miles, he has to go. No cell phones. No emails. He can't call home and be like, honey, Jesus did a thing. Yay. He's like, he can't even tell his wife for 10 more hours. And he just starts walking. What is going through this guy's head? I think, I think he has to be excited. Hey, I got to Jesus. He did a thing. He, at least he said he did. And then you start thinking about it. You're like on mile two and a half and you're just like, did he do a thing? Did I ask him right? Maybe I was supposed to give him some money. I don't know how this Jesus thing works. I don't know. And he starts doubting. I, want, I bet he doubts along the way. Dads, do you think he doubts? I wonder if this dad starts to second guess his decisions. Was it even right to go to Jesus? Maybe I should have stayed with my family. What if my kid dies while I'm gone? Did, did, did I waste that last moment with him? Did, do I have enough? He has to wait at least 10 hours before you can get home and see this. Listen, um, this is important for us to note about how God works things. A lot of people have to wait on God. And many of them get answers to prayers in ways that they didn't imagine, and in some ways in ways that they didn't even want. I just I was making a list as I was preparing for this. Like, how many like examples do we have of people following God and it and it worked out the way it was supposed to, but they had to wait. And it was just like I kept going. The list is on and on. The Israelites end up in slavery. They cry out to God for how long? Four hundred years. They cry out to God, and then God sends Moses. 
Okay, well, he sends Moses 400 years of people crying out. Later, they, they go into the wilderness and they spend 40 years in the wilderness just wandering around, praying, asking God, like, rescue us, get us out of this. And he's like, well, I will, after the next generation. He does in 40 years. Later, the Israelites, just a few you know, centuries later, they go into exile and they're in exile for 70 years. Read Daniel, read, read uh, 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 not Ezra, uh, shoot, uh, the, uh, Esther, read Esther. Uh, the, these people, they go into exile and they're just begging for God to do a thing. Has God forgotten me? Is he going to show up? And there's this long, long wait. David, he's uh, told that he's going to be king and then he has to wait 15 years before like the crown ends up on his head. He had to wait for God to come through. Joseph, he goes to prison for who knows how many years and he's like, I didn't do anything. And he spends all this time in prison waiting for God to show up. And then God does show up. Spoiler alert, that's our next series. We're going to start in a couple of weeks. We're going to read about Joseph having to go through all this junk and waiting for God to show up and do a thing. Noah, Noah hears from God, hey, I'm going to put you in the ark. I want you to save everybody, closes the door. Then he doesn't hear one more word from God for 53 weeks. He doesn't hear one more word from God for a year and a week. And then God's like, and now you're saved. He had to wait over a year before you heard anything else from God. Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. You're going to have so many kids. It's going to blow your mind more than the stars in the sky. He's 100 years old before he has the kid. He had to wait. And God showed up and answered in ways that he didn't expect. Lazarus, we're going to read in probably next year sometime. Lazarus, he's sick. He's about to die just like this official son. And just like this official son, his sisters send word to Jesus. Jesus, get here. Help us. Lazarus is about to die. And Jesus hears the message and he waits two more days, four more days. Oh, I can't remember. I'll have to go back and look. And the guy dies. And then Jesus shows up and answers in a way that nobody could have imagined. Here's my point. Christian, you're begging God to show up in ways, and then you think this wait must mean that he's not answering. But every example of people who follow God have these massive amounts of waiting and seeing and answers that they didn't expect. Why would we expect God to do any different with us? God is still faithful. Is he still worth following even in all of this waiting, even when nothing makes sense? And the resounding answer, example from Scripture is yes, Jesus Christ is still worth it. In the book of Job, you may know the story of Job. Job loses everything. Uh, and then he has these terrible friends who are like, hey, listen, I got this idea for you. Curse God and die. Just get it over with. It's just going downhill. It's not going to work out. And, and, and he doesn't. And you get towards the end of Job and he starts processing this. And here's, here's what Job says in Job 19, verse 25. He says, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has become thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. This brother is tired of going through the junk, and he just looks up, he's like, you know what? I'm going to see God come through. My Redeemer is alive. His friends are like, just die already. And he's like, no, my God's alive, and he's good. And he's still worth following. Paul in Romans 8, uh, verse uh, 18, he says this. He says, and Paul goes through some junk. He ends up losing his life for following Jesus. And here's what he says in 8.18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The beauty of God surpasses the problems of this world. 
The beauty of God, knowing who Christ is and getting it right, the promises is that you have life, not that you have every prayer answered exactly the way that you want it. Do you want life? Tim Keller, um, he passed away this week, uh, which is a huge loss to, to the church and to, to just Christian teaching. He had this quote I shared. He uh, says, religious people find God useful, but Christians find God beautiful. There's a difference between going to God only because we need answers to prayers and then going to God and just finding out that he is worth it no matter what happens on this earth, that he's good and he sees his promises through to completion, that God is still good. I've been here as pastor long enough to just sit in the room and counseled and with people and cried with them when God answered prayers and when God didn't answer prayers. And I can't tell you the answers to the why. I don't know why sometimes I go to the ER and, and it turns out like it was nothing. The kid just like had a great time uh, in the ambulance ride. It wasn't as bad as you thought. And sometimes you go to the ER and your heart is breaking. I've sat in the ER with a family praying for their daughter and finding out that she has no seizure disorder and she has nothing and her brain is just fine. And then I've been to the ER uh, not just long ago sitting with a teenager I've never met because her 38-year-old mom just died. And I'm just like, I, don't, I can't make sense of why some of these things are answered and why some aren't. But here's the mystery, that the why may never be answered. Why you had to go through that. Why it goes this way and not this way. Why God heals this person and not this person. Why is this problem question that just seems to bankrupt our soul? Because God isn't interested in explaining himself. But he is interested in showing you that he's still good. He is interested in showing that he's still faithful to you in all of the promises that he made to you. He is interested in showing you that he is, he is worth it. And so this guy, this dad, he is now on the 10-hour walk back home. And what is he thinking? Probably some relief, probably some desperation, probably some second guessing. He probably felt weak at some point. I wish I could have done something for my, for my kid. I bet at one point he wonders, am I too late? Is it enough? And here's, here's what happens. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants, so this guy's a wealthy enough dude to have a whole household of servants and stuff. His servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. You got to remember a 10 hour walk one way, you got to find Jesus and talk to him a 10 hour walk the other way. He's now been gone more than a day or two waiting to hear what happens to his son. He talks to Jesus. He on his way back. I'm going to say they meet him halfway. He's at the five hour mark. Some servants meet him. He's like, Hey, Bob, your kid's getting better. It's great. He's doing great. When did that happen? They told him what time. He's like, that's when I talked to Jesus. That's when Jesus says that your son would be better. Verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The second sign. John's going to start counting the signs. The signs that should point, be evidence that Jesus is more than just answered prayers and more than just a miracle worker. Jesus is better than all of those things because he's the source of life. He's a place we run to and we find eternal life and we find eternal hope and purpose. But let me ask you this, this question. Um, it's a question that I've tried to answer multiple times here. Is 
Is this Jesus we're talking about? Is he worth you following? That's a really, really important question to answer. Because if Jesus isn't the son of God, the promised one of God, if he's just a historical figure, if he's just this teacher that people talk about a lot to base moral teachings on, but has no power and isn't alive and well today, is Jesus worth it? I would tell you, I don't know, maybe not. Your hope may be better off in doctors and scientists. Your hope may be better off in education. Your hope may be better off in other extremes. But listen, if John is right about who Jesus is, if he is the son of God sent by God to rescue the world, and he is the rescue plan of God invading this world by which all of us find hope, he is the only name under heaven by which any man or woman will be saved. If that is true, then whether or not he answers this one prayer is irrelevant. He is worth it. He's worth following. You will find nothing in your life that is more beautiful. You will find nothing in your life that is more powerful. You will find nothing in your life that is more satisfying to your soul than a life that is connected to the vine, Jesus. He is, by my estimation, the only hope. I'm convinced that John is right, that those who call on the name of Jesus will have life, eternal life, and it will permeate their soul and their existence. And though death may exist around them, though brokenness may exist around them, they experience life because Jesus is the source of that life. That's what I've been com- compelled against uh, to, to believe. The question is, is like, what do you do with him? So for those of you who follow Jesus, uh, I ask this question. Why do you follow Jesus? Why choose to? And if you're honest, and the honest answer is, well, Jesus, like, you know, he's going to answer my prayers. He does things for me. He's, he's convenient. Um, I, think, I think Jesus would be talking to us when he says, you people, all you want from me are signs and wonders. Why don't you just believe? We're going to find that as we, as we consider, like, who Jesus is, what he does and doesn't do in our life becomes irrelevant. If he's truly the son of God, he is worth following. And then we sing songs like we sang a moment ago, that it's your breath in my lungs. I just cry it back out to you. You're worthy. You're good. Songs that we sing, I'm sorry for all the times I come to you asking for blessings. Jesus, I need nothing more right now. These songs are beautiful because they remind us that Jesus is beautiful regardless of our circumstances. This dad had an awful circumstance that stopped his agenda in his tracks, and he did everything he could to get to Jesus. Whether or not Jesus answers what you're needing him to answer, answers your prayer the way that you're asking, let me encourage you just as a, as a man who follows Jesus, get to him as fast as possible. He's worth the 10-hour walk if it takes it. Get to him, spend time with him, And let your soul come back to life. Because if you don't, the rest of this world, it's just rotting us. It's broken and it hurts. But he he is life. Let me pray. And then we'll watch uh, the cue together. Father, Father, we we thank you um, for these stories that remind us of your goodness. We thank you that you hear us in our brokenness. And we are a room full of people that... Some prayers you answered exactly the way that we asked, and some prayers 
we're still in that waiting moment. Lord, help our hearts stay focused on you and to remain uh, aware of your beauty and your goodness. I pray, Father, for those of us who are wrestling with hurt and brokenness, that you would remind us that you're, you're hearing us, that you are near, that you're beautiful, and that you're still worth following. I pray for those of us who are, who are considering you and really trying to weigh out, like, what, what does this Jesus mean? What does it mean to follow you? Father, I pray that you would, you would reveal to us your truth, um, that at you is the, the root of our, our hope. Uh, I pray that you'd restore the hope of those in this room and those who are listening. Lord, may we, as a result of today, look more like Jesus and bring this hope into a broken world. Um, they're just looking for something to, to trust, and they're looking for life. Um, may we help others find life in Jesus and help them get closer to him. We love you, and we pray this in his name. Amen.